welcome to Campfire Football. I've got my party hat on because the European Super League, as of now, is dead. Dead on arrival as I hoped it would be as I just got excited to see everyone really piling together and the way this all went down was astonishing. Truly, truly astonishing. So I want to give a post-mortem on this and not a full one because there will be more. I mean, the information is just going to keep coming. It's possible we just got the football reset we've always wanted. So I did shed a tear on Monday and Tuesday when this was going down because it was mental. So excited that it's done. And now we can move on, hopefully reform football and find some more fun things to talk about. All right, before I get into this post-mortem on the uh, Super League, because there's a bunch to talk about there that I want to address, especially considering the episode that I did just the other day about Florentino Perez. So before I get into that, I just wanted to mention the best match I saw this week. Chelsea versus Man City, Women's Super League. This maybe was the title decider. It was huge. What a game it was. High quality, incredible amounts of pressure. Uh, It it was, you could see the tension in the players. First half, they both just went after it and just just played. I think it was a great contest. Chelsea went into the half 2-1 up. Maybe we're unlucky to not have that lead by two goals because... Although City were creating opportunities and making things happen, it was more or less just a Chelsea error that led to basically both of City's goals. And then, player of the match and Katrin Berger, her save from Lauren Hemp's header on the corner kick in the second half, late, late, late in the game, certainly secured the point for Chelsea and possibly was a title-winning save. I mean, it was incredible please go check that out check out the highlights of this game they were quite good interestingly i think man city were the better team in this game i think both teams were pretty even in the first half chelsea had a good amount of control and converted their chances manchester city in the second half were splendid they they have a lot of good resources and a lot of attacking options so they had they pulled sam mewis at one point they didn't start Rose Lavelle. She came on later. I mean, th- there were a lot of options. Chloe Kelly was terrific. Lauren Hemp was actually probably the player of the match overall. But when a goalkeeper makes that big of a save in that big of a moment, got to hand it to the geek. Got to hand it to the GK. That's that's my opinion. And Ann Catherine Berger has now done this a lot in huge games. She steps up and makes. I mean, incredible, incredible, outrageous saves. So go ahead and check it out. Also, if you want. A little bit more evidence on those saves I'm talking about. Her performance against Wolfsburg in the Champions League, both legs that Chelsea had to advance. Again, she stood on her head and Chelsea owe a lot to her. Yes, Sam Kerr and Penilla Harder and Frank Kirby have had a huge role in scoring a lot of the goals. But I don't think right now they'd be in the position they would be in were it not for Ann Berger and her absolutely sublime performances this season. So congratulations to Chelsea, unfortunate for Man City, but more than anything, congratulations to the Women's Super League. I mean, this was an absolutely terrific advert for the league. Uh, The quality was really high. And you know what? The commentator mentioned at one point this. Four minutes to go. A game of this magnitude, with this pressure... How much dissent have you seen? None. How many dives have you seen? None. How much respect have you seen between the two opponents? Maximum. 
And what he's obviously doing is comparing it to the men's game. But that is a, a true beauty of watching the Women's Super League. And if you wonder why and why people are slowly just trickling in and the audiences are going and then sticking around, that's a huge reason why. The quality is great and so is the temperament and the overall vibe and mood of the thing. So great stuff, Women's Super League. This season has been huge. And now with the upcoming deal they're going to get, things are just going to be like, much, much, much more prosperous on a year-to-year basis. And I can see this league, over time, really rivaling the NWSL in the United States. It's 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 probably the only one that I think at the moment might have the financial backing to get there. It has the financial backing because it's in England, of course. Ties to the Premier League are strong. And that actually is the reason why all of the Super League stuff came crashing down. First of all, on Monday, I did an episode about Florentino Perez, and because the way his interview scared the crap out of me, it just sounded like this guy who's got everything figured out, knows exactly where this is all going, as long as he directs the tide correctly, we'll all just acquiesce and fall in line, and then the Super League is a thing, and the pyramid of football struggles, and there's trickle-down economics that go on for decades while clubs fold. I mean, this is what I was worried about, right? Amazingly... This whole thing crumbled. I mean, I'm not lying. I, I I started shedding a tear when this all started to roll in. For me, this was the weirdest experience. I, for all of us. I'm not going to say. For me, whatever. For all of us. It was the same thing. You find out about the press release. You start to worry. You have discussions the next day. And then all of a sudden, it just starts coming down. I mean... I record my episode, and then just a few hours later, I'm seeing Chelsea fans protesting outside the bridge. By the way, huge, huge, huge props to all of you fans in England who were on the ground. Because, look, I'm in Colorado. I would have loved to be able to go march on the streets and hold up signs and get in there. And I would have loved to do that. But maybe what I can do for Arsenal fans is go show up with a sign outside of the Cronky headquarters or outside Cronky Sports Entertainment, uh, which we have around here because he owns multiple teams in this area. I can maybe protest there, but it, it, it... He doesn't care. He doesn't care what happens to our teams here. He doesn't care what happens to Arsenal. But enough people in London do care what happens to Arsenal, Chelsea. And the fact that Liverpool, City, United fans, everyone really got riled up. The second the dominoes started to fall, the first one, once Chelsea pulled out, it was over. And what we understand about this, the fallout has taught us a lot of things, right? But the most amazing thing happened the night this all collapsed. And it's Florentino Perez. I mean, Florentino, por favor, ¿qué estás haciendo? I mean, God, this guy, on Monday, I do this episode that makes him sound like the freaking Wizard of Oz. And then he goes full abuelo on me just 24 hours later and started saying the most insane stuff. I mean, disconnected from reality, saying that there's 40 Chelsea fans and that he someone sent them there. It's the same person who had the shirts in Cadiz, and I'm sure he's talking about someone at UEFA, probably Alexander Seferin. So Gab Marcotti had a great little take on, yeah, there's a bunch of Slavic dudes in leather jackets there, you know, forcing a protest. I mean, it's so funny. He goes to this whole agent provocateur, fake false flag, fake protest thing, uh, you know, these conspiracy theories. Saying stuff like, you know, the top clubs in England lose money. The rest of the clubs make money. Saying the same about Spain. I mean, it, 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 he went 
over a cliff in just 24 hours. And he doubled down, which is kind of amazing. He's the only one that came out until Juan Laporta, who came out and basically said the same thing. Now, what that tells me is very simple. Real Madrid, Barcelona are in a lot of trouble. Yet, I mean, you know, they just agreed contracts with Kun Aguero and David Alaba. So, no idea what they plan on doing there with the money. But, look, I mean, what a mess this whole thing was. And the fact that, you know, most of the hierarchies have immediately apologized to their fans. Um, they say they made a mistake, this and that. We also found out from, say, Paolo Maldini, a lot of players and managers, that it was really only the highest, highest echelons of ownership in these clubs that knew anything about this. The only chairman, say, that might have known something is Ed Woodward. Other than that, it was owners. Oh, and probably Andrea Agnelli. But other than that, you know, Florentino, FSG, John Henry, the Glazers, they were the ones really pushing this because it has American model written all over it. Now, then you look at Arsenal. They apologized, made a statement apologizing because they were like, we genuinely worried what we would do. If there's a Super League, that's not good. But if there's a Super League and we're not in it, for us, that's infinitely worse. So, And this is the thing. is I think a lot of clubs, the Milan clubs, uh, Atleti, I think that uh, Man City and Chelsea were offered this as well and kind of were like, all right, well, I mean, we don't desperately need it, but we may as well be a part of it. I think Arsenal is one of those teams that was like, we need it. Atleti, Inter, AC, we need it. And, of course, Barcelona and Real Madrid and Juve because those are the clubs that have put out an enormous amount of money and spent really poorly. We know this about Barcelona. We know this about Real Madrid and Juve. They've spent so much money, and a lot of it – is bizarre, right? These like Miralem Pjanic for Arthur switch with 60 million added on to I mean, like I don't even know where all this money came from. And then, you know, we find out about Messi's contract and how much Coutinho was being paid. Uh, at Real Madrid, who knows how many players they actually really have on their books. I mean, it, it's an amazing, amazing thing that these are the ones that really engineered the whole thing from the European sporting side to try and help themselves. And then they roped in the Americans to kind of just tie it all up. And the other clubs were like, we'll be in, I guess. But clearly Chelsea and City didn't need it because the second they they got real heat from the fans and they bailed, they didn't care. They just went ahead and said, we're going to apologize because this is not really our idea in the first place. So I want to just mention this whole thing. It shows you how out of touch elites are. I mean, Florentino Perez saying that young people don't play football anymore and young people don't care about football anymore. He really is pulling data that might tell him that, but he's not necessarily knowing the other side of the story. For instance, look at the people that were at Stamford Bridge. I've seen dozens of photos and videos. It's almost everyone in your 16 to 24 age range. So if, you're, if you say those people don't care, well, you just got a clear and obvious thing that they do. And so the question is, why are not more young people able to show that? Well, the way stadiums have changed, ticket prices have gone up to the point where, you know, a 20-year-old is not going to be able to buy a season ticket. And also something that is a very interesting topic that I'd like to get into at some point is the standing terraces because that was banned after the Hillsborough and, and after a lot of the stuff that happened in the 80s in the top clubs. And there's actually an organization that's been doing a lot of research in – finding out how you can actually do standing room 
in a stadium that's safe and that it can in a lot of ways be much safer than a, CD, a stadium that has nothing but seats everywhere because you actually have an exit, an, an escape route for a lot of people potentially if there's like a fire or something. So that's a really, really interesting topic. But it, it is another reason. You, you, you reduce, you force everyone to be sitting. Everything has to be plasticized. It's really, really expensive. Those people who they want to go into the stadiums, they want to show that they can watch football. But they're zeroed out to their screens all day. That's where they're relegated to. And so they don't get to be in the stands. And so when we talk about reform, which is definitely something we got to talk about, uh, it's going to have to go deep. And look, we needed a reset in football. The model has been unsustainable for such a long time and getting worse and worse and worse. Look, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we learned that Qatar would be hosting the 2022 World Cup. The moment that news was released, I said to the people around me, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. There's no way. Everyone already knows it's corrupt. All they have to do is an investigation. They'll find out who got what kind of payments for it. And before any stadiums start being built, because they're going to have to build an entire infrastructure, this plan is going to get quashed. And it never did. Why? Because FIFA is corrupt. They want to create their own Super League type of tournament, some big world club championship thing. Honestly, I'm not interested in the World Club Championship thing because we know the European teams are so dominant that in the end, everyone gets that feeling like, well, we'll see. You know, the other the other clubs around the world would, would love it probably. But then why don't we do this in a different way? There has to be a different way to create more opportunities for teams to play each other and for games to – and for when they do that, for games to actually matter so that everyone gets to enjoy it. I don't really know the I don't know the route, but I have to say right now we're in a great position to start f- holding UEFA and FIFA accountable for a lot of the crazy, crazy things that they've been doing for years. Something to keep in mind: Ilkay Gundogan's comments, backed up and doubled down by Pep just just uh, the, the last couple days here, about how the current the the new format that they're going to go to for the Champions League doesn't take players into account. It adds more games. It's the lesser of two evils from the Super League. And I love it. Players are coming out and saying this isn't right. And that was barely happening in any way. I mean, players were just like, yeah, you know, it's our job. We're privileged. We don't want to complain about playing because we're paid a lot. And, you know, but finally, finally, because of this, this, by the way, complete ramshackle of a plan and the execution of this Super League plan, We are now given an opportunity to totally go after everything that we really need to. These guys showed their ass. They face-planted so hard. It was the biggest own goal I've ever seen in football. How on earth they managed to get the entire football world to be one for two days like that is astonishing. I mean, they achieved something no one else has ever done, which is incredible. So, And it gave us the platform. So now how are we going to use it? Right? There's a lot of problems in the game. I talked a few days ago about how support your local teams. That's going to make a big difference. We've heard some great stories. I think Grimsby Town did something where they were saying, bring your top six shirts to us and we'll trade it in for a Grimsby shirt. And so and now clubs all down the way are getting really creative. We were seeing this from the, the, the posts, the social media posts and tweets. They're saying, you know, Wolves 2018, 2019 Premier League champions and things like that. And it was starting to get funny. And 
the great thing about it is we're seeing this creativity from the small clubs and all of us want to see that. We want to see the small clubs figuring out to be creative and punch above their weight and potentially be Barnsley who, by the way, lost 7-0 to Chelsea earlier in the FA Cup this season and are now pretty much dead certain assured a place in the playoffs and could be in the Premier League by next season. This is why we love it, right? So make no mistake, these people will be back. All right. These 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 owners are not gone. It's going to take three, four billion pounds to actually buy Man United. Stan Kroenke has zero desire to get rid of Arsenal. None. Uh, Roman Abramovich, no Chelsea fan actually wants him to sell the club because, to be frank, although he went along with this plan, he is a very community club type of guy. I mean, he's done a lot of things to, to build every single aspect of the club for a long time. Yes, he's commercialized. I mean, the club has become far more commercialized because of it. But at the same time, it still holds a lot of its roots. And the fact that Chelsea fans were the ones to go out on Fulham, um, on the Fulham Road and really make their, themselves heard and clear, I think that shows that even if your club's rich and even if the owner seems someone so out of touch, your fans are still in touch. And what a win for people on the ground to show that elites are out of touch, don't know what's going on, and that we want the game to be better, that we actually aren't apathetic to this, that we won't just acquiesce to some crazy idea. Look, Wenger was right, and I feel for him, because he got chased out of Arsenal for, yeah, performances started to drop, the atmosphere around, everything started to get worse, but people were complaining about the fact that they had to pay off the stadium. We're not signing this 40 million pound player. We're not signing that 40 million pound player. Fans, Maybe stop demanding that your club bring in the most expensive talent in the world. I mean, I would love to see Neymar's transfer fee, that 220, be the world record forever. Because it's unreasonable for a player to be bought for that much money. Because where does the money come from? What happens to the rest of the football pyramid? Barcelona made 220 off Neymar and have just burned it completely. What did that do for football? Right? I think these are the things we have to remember. Keep things relatively smaller. Let's keep things more simple. And from country to country, it's going to be very interesting to see how we reform things. Everyone's talking about the German 50 plus 1 law, but you have to remember, German government from a certain point already has a lot of things that stop businesses from being able to just completely take over, right? Can we do this in football? Absolutely. But this is where fans need to come out and and propose good solutions. One solution that I think is completely insane is going full punitive and trying to dock points or ban the big six teams, anyone that was involved in this. If you think that getting rid of them in some way is any bit of a good idea, it's not. It is just not. You don't go to war with people like this. If anything, the best thing to do is bring them to the table. One of the examples I have, and this may seem extreme, but... To me, it leads into why we're football fans in a way as well. At the end of World War I, the Treaty of Versailles completely demolished the German economy. It was meant to be just repercussive to make sure that they understood you're never doing this again. Well, it completely backfired because the German economy was ripe for populism. They were angry. And if someone could sell them just the right pack of lies and be the right person to gin up essentially anger and and real nationalized sentiment, Hitler did it, Germany was ripe for it, and World War II happened. 
After World War II, there were the Geneva Conventions, and this is where we really decided how do we build a stronger Europe. That was a huge piece of it. And France, Germany, they were so key in trying to rebind Europe. And these are two countries that, I mean, the war basically, most of these wars were fought heavily on their border. And over time, Europe needed to find a way to never have world wars happen on their soil again. You know what's beautiful about football? It almost inserted itself as a tool for us to be crazy, tribal, for us to be able to take a side so staunchly and hate someone else, but we're doing it in a container, something that keeps us safe because it's just a game. But this game has also tied us deeply to our communities. And this is a great thing too, because now it adds value that cannot be taken away. We football fans objectively are crazy. To numbers people, to business people, we just don't make sense. We want a game to be exciting, and we want the game to have money and investment coming in and to have the biggest games possible, but we also want to preserve the small teams we really don't care about. It's not really logical, but it's a football fan's heart. We spend money on shirts, scarves, all kinds of things. Look behind me. The beauty of football is we go and we invest in all this stuff for what? So that we can pull for a team that has certain colors, a certain badge, a certain history. Yeah, all of that. And the funny thing is, it still doesn't really make sense if you are a business person. You're coming in saying, club's losing some money and we need to maximize profits. No, no, we just keep need to keep the game alive. Just keep the game alive and make sure we're not dead. That's all we really, really want. And the great thing is this is this is for all ages. I mean, we see people of all ages be just as obsessed. They create shrines of teams in, of, of a team in their own house. They create a boot room like mine. Our identity is so linked to this. Our mood can be completely changed by this game and everything that happens. And if this tribalism is something that we've manufactured to just keep us safe and also have a ball, but be able to use it to have a tethered set of core values, well, that's not something that guys like Florentino Perez and Joan Laporta and the Glazers and FSG, it's just not something they're ever going to really understand. And that's okay. Now we've learned that we can keep them out of our club because our club is huge. It's the whole freaking world. Look, for all of you out there, podcasters, you guys have done an excellent job. It's been great to see so many people doubling down. Memers, you guys crushed it this week. And once again, I just want to say thank you to all the fans on the ground. Those of you who were six inches away from Petr Cech and didn't assault him, but just let him know how you felt. You know, th this was important. This is a big, big moment for football. I am so, so proud to have just been alive for this and to have had a pulse on it and seen it because I did cry when I found out that Chelsea had pulled out and that Ed Woodward had gone down and then Agnelli had gone down and then everyone was out. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't help it. I was laughing and crying. It was too good. So let's take this spirit to push the game forward as we've always wanted. Love you all. This is Campfire Football. Happy Friday. Enjoy your weekend.